So for those of you that don't know me, I'm Irena, Irena Davis. I have multiple roles at the moment, um, but broadly speaking, I specialize in leadership development. And currently, I think there's a slide coming up with three different um, roles that I hold. Uh, the first is that I work with Commission at the moment, helping to um, shape and well, to head up their leadership development. So uh, that's been one aspect of what I'm doing. Another aspect you can see in the bottom left is that I also work here at Citygate Church. I'm part of the leadership team here. That used to be a full-time role for about four years. Um, more recently, that's a very part-time role, uh, if you ask my team, uh, because I'm also now leading my own business, which is leadership culture in the middle, where I get to work with lots of big corporates, private individuals, churches, charities, all kinds of people, uh, helping them with leadership, which is really exciting. My background, the reason I started doing all this, is because I love learning, and I started to lead in various contexts, in a business setting, first of all. And the more I got into it, the more I learned about leadership development. I worked for um, an insurer, mainly in London. And I was privileged to be able to go on lots of courses, qualify, train, and all kinds of things. And then at one point, God just called me out of it and said, go and serve the church with that now. And it was such a surprise to me because I could never have imagined how my professional experience could benefit the church. At the time, I just I couldn't see how the two would line up at all. But now it's one of the biggest privileges of my life to be able to combine the two. It really is. Of all the things that I've worked on and done in the leadership space, the thing I'm most passionate about, as Chris said, is seeing leaders grow and seeing new leaders released. And the reason I'm passionate about that is because I honestly, genuinely believe that leadership really matters to God. It's not to say that he values it more highly, but he does place a focus on it. And we see it all the way through scripture. We see that leadership is talked about. We see that most of the, particularly the Old Testament and some of the New, we've got a lot of books are named after people because they led. There's a real focus on it because they're the people that take God's people forward. And if we get to play a part as leaders in creating that, then how amazing is that? If you're a leader in this room today, that is part of your role, is to bring through new leaders that are going to take God's people forward. It's a key part of your role. And controversially, the other key aspect is succession planning. And the reason I say it's controversial is because every time I say that in a church or ministry context, I always get a few frowns. And someone always says to me, Oh, I'm not sure about succession planning. It sounds like a bit of a businessy concept to me. And we are not a business, we are a family. And you're 100% right, we are a family. And yet, I think we've got it the wrong way up. I think that succession planning is a biblical principle that the business world have nicked. And that actually happens quite a lot, by the way. The business world is full of stuff that's biblical, that they've just repackaged and given a different name. But if you think about it, from Moses handing over to Joshua, to Elijah handing over to Elisha, even David, who was picked and decided upon as the successor to Saul, long before he even stepped into it, we can see that God has been about succession planning. And so we need to also be about succession planning if we're not thinking about who's going to lead after us, then we're not fulfilling all of our leadership role and we're not following the model that God has given us. So this is serious stuff. We've got to prioritise it. And 
I know because I've worked in the church team, I know what it's like. You're so busy dealing with the immediate that sometimes thinking about the future can just feel like one thing too many. But it's such a critical part. I want to hone in on one area that I think is the most important skill that we lack in raising leaders and multiplying it around us. And it's not a very sexy word. The word for this skill is called delegation. And there's a reason I didn't call this seminar delegation, because none of you would have come. (laughs) And you know it. But it's really important, because if we don't delegate well, we will not see leaders released. I'll give you some examples, and then I'm going to give you some practical tips on how we do this. The reason I think this is really important is because you can send a potential leader on a hundred outstanding courses. You can give a leader the best books that have ever been written on leadership. You can even pair them up with someone who's really amazing and say, copy them. But if you are delegating to them and giving them an opportunity to properly lead, they're not really going to learn because they're never actually putting it into practice. So that's why I'm going to talk about delegation, because it's going to help us to multiply leadership. Also, I am a big fan of courses, but they're not the thing that raises leaders. Ultimately, you are the the mechanism by which leaders are raised. So if you are a leader, the only way they're really going to lead is because you give them a space to. I'm going to give you an example from my own experience in church life. I was once asked to lead a small ministry in my church. It was a course that was running. It wasn't, you know, like a big course. It was quite a little thing, but I was really excited. I thought, okay, yeah, I I lead at work. I've got a senior leadership role. I've got lots of experience. I know about leadership. This is really exciting, and I get to do it for God. And I started to get stuck in quite quickly. So I started to invite people onto my team. I started to invite people that I knew had a bit of a burgeoning teaching or communication gift and saying, hey, do you want to maybe come and have a go on this course? I think it's a good place for you to grow. And I started to think about how I might shape it differently. And as I did that, I quickly found that that wasn't actually what the elder that had asked me to lead it was expecting. (laughs) And very graciously and very kindly, he said, "Um, actually, I would like to pick the people that are going to be on your team because I've got an idea of who I'd like to serve on this ministry. I was like, all right, okay, I didn't realise that. Uh, And then, actually, I would like to pick who teaches, because I've got a list of names of people that I want to give experience to. Fair enough. And then when I started to think about reshaping it, initially the response was, actually, I just kind of want you to run it like this. And I quickly realised that I wasn't really being asked to lead this course. I was being asked to organize it, to coordinate, and to administer. And I appreciate that I might be being, making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, because maybe some of you are thinking, actually, I do that sometimes, or even, well, what's wrong with that? And there isn't anything wrong with that, actually. If that's what you want, if you want someone to coordinate, to organize, or to administrate something for you, you're well within your rights, and it's really super helpful. And it's not my main skill set, so I'm really, really grateful for the people who do have that skill set. My skill set primarily is leading and shaping. 
So when I'm in a context where I think that's what's going to happen, but then it doesn't, and I don't really feel like I've got freedom to do that, what do you think happens? Start to get a bit frustrated, start to get a bit bored, start to think, right, I really want to be servant-hearted, but also, is there anywhere else I could serve where maybe I could just use my natural gifting a bit more? And unintentionally, I found myself really reining in my leadership contribution to the church. Obviously, that didn't stay the case because I ended up joining the leadership team. But the point to understand here is that the guy that I'm describing is a really good guy, and his heart is to see people released. He is honestly one of the most releasing people I know. He didn't even realize what he was doing. He didn't even occur to him that that might be the impact or that there might be a difference between asking someone to lead versus asking someone to coordinate. And so I'm sharing it with you because I want you to think about that. When you're raising leaders in your own context, are you expecting them to actually lead? Do they have space to make any decisions or even just a recommendation that you're likely to say yes to? Or are they just administering for you? I do understand that leadership can be administration too, but that's not the kind of administration I'm talking about. Let's not squash people's leadership gifts by calling things leadership that are not. Here, what I want to share with you now are three practical tips to help us do this better. I don't know why that first is up there. Can we take it away, please? Thank you. The three practical tips I want to share with you start with this one. We need to delegate authority, not just tasks. And I appreciate again that that can be uncomfortable, especially if you're an elder in the room. I know that because I've walked a journey over the last five or six years, four years, five years, a number of years in my own church where. I was brought into the leadership team, working alongside the elders, but obviously not an elder, because we know that we're complementarian in theology. What that then looked like in practice was complicated, and there were concerns. There were people saying, oh, I'm not really sure, does this mean that she's you know, a, a sort of backdoor elder, is she sort of sneaking into an eldership role, or does that mean that she's doing all the same things an elder does? The reality was, I was still under the elders' authority. But increasingly, and Mick Taylor helped us on this journey a lot, we worked through the theology, and the elders worked through the theology versus the practice, to work out where can we actually delegate more authority? What's appropriate? What's our comfort level? And how can we be more releasing? And that's been, it's been a complicated journey, I'm not going to lie, it's had its ups and downs. But it's been a really, really healthy one as we've challenged habits, really. And I think it's important that we don't confuse our habits and our tradition with our theology, because they're not the same thing. Sometimes we think, oh, this is just how things are done, but we've never really questioned, actually, could we be more releasing? Within whatever your personal or church boundaries are, is there space for you to delegate more authority? If you're thinking, I'm not sure if that's okay, then I want to encourage you that Jesus did this too. 
I love reading Matthew, which we just had up on the screen. There's various bits where it says Jesus gave authority to cast out unclean spirits, gave authority to heal sickness. When I look at that, I think that's life or death stuff. Literal life and death stuff. It's actually quite rare that most of us have authority that is life or death stuff beyond that. So if Jesus can delegate that kind of authority to us, then I think that we can probably delegate our authority to others. In Matthew 9, it says, they glorified God who had given such authority to man. People were overwhelmed by the releasing authority that God gave away. And it's important to note when we say that, we are still under God's authority, aren't we? We know that he is the Lord of all, he is the ultimate authority, but he releases so much authority for us to act. It's incredible. I honestly can't believe sometimes that God does. But he does. Just as if you lead a church, you know that really Jesus is the head of the church. He's delegating his authority. He's saying, you lead it for me in my name, in my authority. You can carry someone's authority without being equal to them. The important boundaries that need to be set are wide boundaries. They're things like, here's the teaching that we adhere to, here is our doctrine, for want of a better word, here are the things that we are looking to go towards in our team, in our ministry, in our church. If you set those clear parameters and you're walking in close relationship with that person, then that's actually what God does with us clear teaching, clear boundaries, clear direction and goal, walk in close relationship with me and then crack on and lead. How freeing is that? Can you imagine if that's how we delegated? So I want to encourage you, whatever your theological challenges are, please, please ask yourself, is there space for me to release more authority than I currently have? And if I'm really honest, as I've gone around businesses, charities, and churches, I think I see a similar pattern, and that's this, that we are really comfortable as leaders with giving away organization and administrative responsibility. And we're actually sometimes quite fearful of giving away authority. And I think that's a big deal because it's right to be cautious about who you give authority to and how much you give. But we shouldn't be fearful of it. We need to give some away. We need to follow the model of our king. If we're not giving leadership authority away, then leaders won't be able to come through. And we're starting to stifle the growth of what's happening around us and stifling something of the purposes of God. So... I want to ask you guys to just reflect on this a bit and think about what does it mean in your context. So I've got some questions up on the screen. I want you to get into twos or threes and I want you to discuss these two questions. The first is, what difference can you identify in practice, so actual practical things, between delegating a task versus delegating authority in whatever context you currently lead? 
Just think of some examples. What does that look like when you're delegating authority, when you're delegating tasks? And the second question is, why do you think that delegating authority instead of just tasks helps multiply leaders? So you've got 15 minutes to talk about this, and then I'm going to pick on some of you to share back. Uh, so I look forward to hearing your answers. So I want to hear your answers. I want to hear what you think the difference is between delegating tasks versus delegating authority. So question one, what do you think the difference is? Some volunteers, please, to share. Give me a wave, and Chris is going to be the beautiful assistant that comes and gives you the microphone. <laughs> Hi. Um, the difference that we were talking about, or one of them, was uh, freedom, basically. Mm -hmm. That when you delegate authority, you're also giving people freedom. Yeah. When you give a task, there's no freedom for decision, things like that. That's excellent. Thank you. That's really good. Okay, more. What are the differences? Steve? Andy. Andy. I can't believe I just said that. It's because your son's called Steve. He's like a mini you. It's nice, it's nice to be mistaken for somebody who's about uh, 30 years younger than me. So that do is carry true. on. <laughs> I think in, in both contexts, I think you're saying if you're delegating either task or the authority, saying this is where we're at now, point A, yeah. and really we want to get to point Z. With a, when you delegate a task, you say, I want you to get to point Z, and this is how you're going to get there. Mm. But when you delegate an authority, you say, I want you to get to point Z, and it's up to you how you get there. Yeah, so I think that's the way I would see it. Excellent. You delegate an outcome when you're delegating authority, but if you delegate a task, you've normally quite prescriptive about what you're going to do. It's really good. Dan? Yeah, I think if you're delegating a task, it's sort of, it stays with me and I'm stuck because I have to generate the ideas and if I haven't got any, <laughs> I can't delegate the task and then it comes back to me and it sort of bottlenecks around me, whereas if, yeah. if I don't have the ideas and I can delegate that and then it can fly, basically. That's actually, yeah, that's really important because if you're the bottleneck in something, then you are going to slow things down in terms of your mission or your ministry, aren't you? If everything has to keep coming back through you and you become the road to everything. So yeah, that's a very distinct difference between delegating authority versus delegating a task. One more, let's have one more. Andrew, <laughs> just making him work for it. I just wanted to make Chris run. Um, no, my, my group dropped me in it they said right we're going to delegate this to you so I assume that's what you were talking about when we yeah, yeah. delegation yeah um, and, and they told me if I say the wrong thing then I'm in trouble so, okay that's that's terrifying yeah yeah absolutely not good um, delegation for me I guess or for us when we were talking about it we were saying when you delegate it takes time yeah. and energy because you need to have a conversation about why you're doing it, what the values are, what the culture you're trying to reflect is, where when you give a task, it's just do it. Mm, absolutely. I think that's very real, isn't it? I remember chatting to my husband about this. He leads in a corporate setting, and he said, I know, I know that I meant to delegate authority, but it's just quicker and more efficient if I just delegate the task, and then I get it done exactly how I want to. And that is... It is true. You cannot get away from that. It takes more time and more effort to delegate authority but here's why you still should. Because if you're delegating task, all you're doing is setting yourself up for the short term. You're making sure that the immediate thing in front of you is going to get done. If you delegate authority, you're preparing for the long term and for growth. You're allowing other leaders to get to a point where they're used to carrying enough responsibility that if things suddenly explode or God suddenly says, I'd like you over here now, please, you know that it's going to carry on without you and hopefully multiply. 
So that's why it's worth that extra investment. But there's no getting around it. It's quicker to just delegate tasks, it is. But in the long run, it's going to cost you more. The other thing I really want to highlight about delegating authority before we move on from it is there's a difference between delegating versus abdicating. And rather than me tell you what those differences are, I want to hear what you think those differences are. So, actually, I was going to say get into twos or threes, but I think seeing as you're fairly happy to contribute, I'm just going to ask Chris to run around again because, you know, I like to give him good exercise. So, um, Joel? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm um, Ryan Davies knows who I am. <laughs> Proud moment. <laughs> um, so I had a conversation with a, a manager at work who was like this and she was like, you know, we, we might have really tough conversations between you and me but if you go out in the business and you make a decision you've got to know that I'm always going to back you oh, that's whatever fantastic. decision you make it's, it's, it's on me and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll fight the battle and that for me is the difference between delegating and abdicating it's mm. maintaining the, the responsibility and, and, you know, it's still your thing, as opposed to abdicating, which is just the removal of responsibility. That's so good, Joel, thank you. So I hope you guys got the gist of that, that it's creating a safe environment for your leaders, or your potential leaders, to do things knowing that if it goes wrong, you're not going to come on, down on them like a ton of bricks. And that if it goes wrong, they're going to have your back and they're going to help you. Uh, my friend Sam, Sam Priest, some of you will know him. I remember him describing it once as this, that when you're a father helping your toddler to learn to walk and they fall over, they're not in trouble, are they? They're encouraged to keep trying. Maybe you might explain to them a few tips to help them do it better next time. And that's the kind of environment that we want to create, whether it's bringing someone through into discipleship as a believer, or whether it's bringing someone through into leadership. They are not going to be perfect. But that sense of you can go out and lead, and I've got your back, is so freeing. It allows you to know that you can act. Thank you. Another example then, what, another difference between abdication versus delegation. Got one over here, maybe? <laughs> Poor Chris. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, so I guess for me, I feel like with the word abdicate, it, it, it's about drawing back, but also emotionally drawing back, like, mm. oh, I don't want to do this anymore, like, you take it. Yeah. And, and the, the idea of then, like, it's not just that you're not in it at all, you're not in it, but you, there's almost a negative, like, response to that of, like, well, it's yours now, and it's on you, but also that when you're delegating, it's sometimes you delegate responsibilities because you see gifting in someone else that you don't have and therefore you can be supportive and behind them in a way that you know that you couldn't do it yourself so the idea of like finding a, a role that you're then like well I don't know that I could do this but I think that this person would be really good at it yeah. to then bring them through in it as opposed to just getting frustrated when you can't do everything yourself and recognizing other people's leadership giftings. Yeah, that's really good. So that's really saying that if you are giving something to someone because you don't want to do it, that's not really delegating, that's dumping. And if you're giving it to someone because you honestly think that they could bring something fresh, different, extra, or because you want to see them flourish as a leader, then that's delegating. And the key thing that I think was really helpful there is that you stay emotionally connected, you stay connected. 
And that can look like lots of things. It can look like making sure they're okay, not just abandoning them to it. It can look like making sure they know they can come to you with questions if they've got them. It could look like giving feedback. And feedback, honestly, is the most underused thing in our context ever. I think so many of us are uncomfortable giving feedback, aren't we? And especially if it's critical feedback, it's hard. It's really hard because we want to get on well with people. But if we don't give them feedback, A, they don't learn and grow, and B, they're not going to be very keen to be delegated to next time because they're not really sure how they did or what progress they're making. If that is something you struggle with, I want to encourage you, the course that we're developing at the moment that's going to be coming out for you for the new year is focusing a whole session on how to give feedback because it is such a common thing to feel uncomfortable with. But it's a vital part of delegating. If you don't get feedback, you've been abdicated to. You've been dumped on. Controversial, but true. Hmm. Let's have one more. One more example. Abdicate versus delegate. Robin. <laughs> or Anna. <laughs> You're delegating. Excellent. <laughs> An interesting thing that happens, I think, it does tend to happen with um, abdication, is that when things go wrong, mm. um, you come in and take over. That's lovely. You step in and rescue. And sometimes don't even have the conversation yeah. with um, the person, so they really don't know what's going on. So. Yeah, that's so good. You're paying enough attention, if you delegated well, that you can step in and rescue the situation. You do it with grace, you do it in a godly way. But absolutely, sometimes you need to step in a rescue. I love that. Imagine if we could learn to delegate like Jesus. If we could literally say, I've given you all the teaching, you know where the boundaries are, I want you to stay in close relationship with me, but now just go and do and act and lead. How incredible would that be? If we get really good at doing that, we will find a lot more leaders starting to pop up around us. We carry his authority as well as being under his authority. And I know that this can be uncomfortable because, as I shared, I've, I've walked this journey myself when it comes to uh, being a leader in a context where I'm working with elders. And I've, I've often heard people say, does that mean then that you've got the same authority? No. Does that mean then that you have no authority? No. And some people can be uncomfortable with that. But the reality is, we are all under authority and we are all given authority if we're really going to lead. Okay, so we've talked about how delegation is about delegating authority, not just tasks if you're a leader or you want to grow a leader. We've talked about it's delegation, not abdication. My third and final point is to be conscious of the level of delegation that you're giving. So there's a lovely table which should come up on the slides. Five levels of delegation. This is not my model. Uh, this is a very smart guy called Michael Hyatt, who is a, he is a leadership consultant. He's a little bit like me, but better and more successful. Uh, he works in America with churches and businesses. And he's come up with a way of explaining the difference between the ways we can delegate. So level one is do as I say. That is still delegation, but it's not delegation that's going to create leadership. So it's not wrong to say to someone, do you know what, I want you to do it just like this. It's actually really helpful sometimes. But be mindful that that's what you're asking for and what you're going to get is exactly how you would do it, hopefully. Level two delegation, research and report back. 
that's not leading on something. And sometimes, particularly in a church context, we can call that leadership. We can say, I want you to go and take a lead on this. And what you actually mean is, go and find out about it, come back with some ideas, but ultimately I'm going to decide. That's not wrong. That's also really helpful. Again, just be conscious that it's not leadership and it's not necessarily going to produce leaders. It might be that you start off there with someone that you're not that familiar with just to see how they do, but you wouldn't stay there necessarily. Level three is where you start to get into the growing leaders territory. I want you to research it and make recommendations. You're not just telling me a bunch of stuff so I make the call. I want you to come and tell me what you think is the right way forward. That doesn't mean that you have to do what they say, but you're asking for a recommendation, you're genuinely considering it, and you're allowing them to have a lead. Level four is even further than that. That's, I've actually given you authority to make a decision on this, and I trust you that you're gonna make a wise one. You know the broad parameters. I know you, you know me, we're in close relationships, so you've got freedom to decide. Just let me know, just keep me in the loop. And level five is act independently. I'll check in from time to time, but you're pretty much autonomous. We'll give feedback, we'll have conversation, but just crack on. The reality is, especially if you're working with someone that's new to leadership or, or you're new to working with them, you're probably going to start at the lower levels because you need to build some trust. But over time, if you want to see leadership flourish, you've got to go beyond level three. You've got to be able to give away some decisions. You've got to be able to give away some, some independence. And it doesn't mean that you're giving away authority. They're still under authority, just like we're still under God's authority, but there's so much freedom to be had. And here's a controversial opinion. Not everybody agrees with this, but I don't think that everybody is a leader. And I often hear other people say, everyone's a leader. And I think, no, they're not. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, people are gifted in different ways. I think everybody can self-lead. And I think everybody has a measure of influence at some point in their life over some people. But really, leadership is a skill and it's a gift. And if we try and make people lead that aren't naturally wired that way, don't have a desire for it, or aren't gifted that way, it can actually be quite stressful. It's not necessarily a kindness to say everybody can lead. So I'm saying that because when you look at this level of delegation, you also want to think about who's in front of you. Do they have leadership potential? And is it appropriate to give them level three? Is it appropriate to give them level four? Or actually, is it gonna be really stressful and cause them to flounder? We wanna serve people well. On the flip side of that, I just want to add a note of caution that we can all be tempted to have unconscious bias. That's a whole different seminar in itself, but <laughs> I think Meg did a pretty good job of starting that off. Um, we need to make sure that when we are asking ourselves, is there leadership potential in front of us, we're not looking just for one shape, one way that leadership should look, one way that leadership should come across. Usually we look for the way that's most like us. It's human nature. Or... You might look for leadership that's just like the person that you admire. That doesn't make it the only type of leadership. And if you're willing to take a risk on increasing slowly these levels of delegation with someone that's quite different to you, who you're not 100% sure about, but they've got a something, or they're looking like they want to take on more responsibility, they might actually surprise you. So I just want to encourage you there. So the key takeaway from this is that if you want to be growing and multiplying leaders around you, you need to be consciously choosing to delegate at level three or above with those people. 
and increase it as trust grows. And I can't actually remember who said it, but someone said we delegate, oh, I think it was Andy, not Steve. We delegate the outcome, not the goal. Oh, sorry, we delegate the outcome and the goal, not the process and not the steps to get there. Big pardon. I think that's really, really important because so often we get this wrong and that tiny thing can make all the difference between I'm leading this versus I'm coordinating this. So just to summarise, those three tips for you. Delegate authority, not just tasks. Delegate, don't abdicate. And most importantly there, give feedback so that people know how they're doing, good or bad. And if you're not confident in that, invest in some training or some coaching that is going to help build your confidence to do that well, because it's a kindness. And the third, define the goal, not the approach. Always be aiming for level three, four, or five if you want to be growing leaders. Most importantly, if you're someone here that leads other people, then helping leaders multiply and growing more leaders around you is just good discipleship. It's part of the gig. It's not an optional extra. It's not something we do if we've got time for it. As leaders, we're called to steward the gifts of the people that we lead. We're called to help them flourish and enable them to do what God has called them to do. And so we must invest in delegating well and creating that space for freedom to really act. We're doing it, not just for our own sakes, although we get a lot of benefits from it, we're doing it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for every single leader in this room. I thank you so much for the gifting that you've put on them, the anointing, the callings. I thank you for the various shapes and sizes of gift. I thank you that we're so different. I thank you that although we all walk with a limp, our limps are different. I thank you that by working together, we can cover each other's gaps. I thank you that by releasing authority, we can share the burden and avoid burning out. We thank you, God, for the model that you've given us. We thank you for how you've shown us that you, the Lord of all things, the mighty one, the sovereign king, can hand over authority to us, to us, life or death authority, to see people healed. That you would say to us, go in my name, act on my authority, Oh, Lord, we, we want to be more like you. We want to see more leaders come through, Lord, for your glory, to carry on your mission. We thank you, Lord, that when we look to Jesus, we can see that he put so much of his ministry time into planning to equip other people around him so that when he moved on, the work would continue and that they would do even more than he did. May we be those people, God, that do even more than the people that led us and then excitedly expect that the people we lead will do even more than us. We pray, Lord, that we would be a releasing, healthy, delegating people that are not afraid of giving away authority, but we do it with your wisdom, Lord, and with your grace. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.